This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well, maybe a little warm uh, as England experiences this little heat wave. But thanks as always for tuning in. I know I've not put anything out for a couple of weeks. Uh, I've had a few other things going on. But I know both the Women's Euro 2022 preview and the look back at England at the Euros episodes, they went down really well. So thanks for your support there. And once again, the women is where our focus lies this time. The group stages, they are almost over. We know some of the quarterfinalists. Our Lionesses, they topped their group thanks to some fantastic results and performances. Long may that continue. Now, I've been joined by Dom Smith for this episode. Very soon, he will give us his thoughts on it. But don't forget, you can follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Give it a like, a follow, whatever you need to do. Always very much appreciated. Gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast from EnglandFootball.org, Dom Smith. Hello, Dom. Hello there. I, actually, I should say award-winning Dom Smith. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Go on, just just quickly tell us. I know you you've tweeted about that. You you won a, a recent award, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's very kind of you to mention it. Um, I won a, a Rising Star Award um, for for kind of young people. Uh, making kind of their own opportunities in the journalism industry under 30 so that was that was quite nice and that's that's all that's meant I'm able to kind of get a, a nice grant uh, for my my sports journalism course which I'll be doing next year which is extremely expensive so it's, it goes a long way to paying for that which is good great stuff well well many congratulations and uh, well, as, as always we'll uh, we'll hope to to follow your journey as we uh, as we as you go on but let's let's talk women's Euros. The uh, the Euros we're going to sort of catch up where we're at to at this moment. In this moment in time, it's uh, Sunday morning, so we've seen the majority of the group games completed or the groups completed. We've just got Group C and Group D uh, to be finalised and those quarterfinal places. But you've been busy. You've been out and about and seeing some of the games, haven't you? Yeah, I've been at all three of the England group games. Um, I also saw Spain's opener um, against Finland when they conceded after 49 seconds, but That's went on right. to win. So yeah, um, so yeah, yeah. Seen seen a good number of games, and um, every every game I've been at, I've, I've really enjoyed. The atmospheres have been fantastic. Well, I thought with this episode, let's obviously we'll we we'll talk lionesses. We'll do that first. Then we will cast our mind just forward to the the forthcoming quarterfinal against Spain uh, and then the tournament so far any sort of things that we've both picked up on and and that sort of thing but yes the Lionesses three wins 14 goals none conceded job done basically hasn't it 
It's been yeah, it's been fantastic. I think they were a little bit nervy in the opener. Maybe that maybe this you know quite the size of the Old Trafford crowd maybe maybe got to them a little bit and they didn't create as many chances as they kind of necessarily have liked to. But they got over the line and since then they've been absolutely rampant. Obviously scoring eight and then five, not conceding any in all the group stage. And and I, I think the substitutions have been a real asset for England and can, can and probably will continue to be so as they go into this tournament. Um, because fresh legs are, are important, but in- England's fresh legs aren't just kind of new players on the pitch. They're actually very capable players and players that, that frankly, you could imagine starting for, for any of these other nations. So uh, England have got real squad depth and I think that will that will serve them well. It certainly served them well so far. That's exactly what I was going to say. The, the strength in depth, the likes of Alatoon coming on, Alessia Russo as well. I mean, as as the, the game against Northern Ireland, they only needed two minutes to really get involved in the action. But yeah, let's, let's start at the beginning. That Austria game, uh, which they won by a goal to nil. Beth Mead opened the scoring with a goal that just crossed the line. Um, and, and maybe with, with Austria qualifying through to the quarterfinals, perhaps in hindsight, they were better than uh, maybe some thought. Well, I thought Austria were very impressive when England played them in um, in November uh, in, a, in a qualifier for the World Cup, which is, of course, in Australia next year. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily think that they're better than Norway. In fact, I don't think they are. But um, I think England winning 8-0 against Norway just, just seemed to kind of do for their tournament um the Norwegians and they were never able to cope with it but uh and when they came back and played Austria in their final game Austria obviously got that 1-0 win a couple, a couple of nights ago but Austria are a decent team they're, they're well drilled um they've got a player in midfield called Sarah Zadrasil who's who's from Bayern Munich she's a fantastic player and um uh, she she sort of she, she takes that kind of extra extra second to, to make her decision and uh, that's important you know in midfield you don't you don't want to rush things um, and but England didn't rush things. They 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 were methodical and they sort of grew into the game. And eventually, around the time when Beth Mead did score that goal, they were kind of creating quite a few chances. Really, I think England probably give away still as a team too many chances. That said, this was a good example of a game where they they did well in that department. They I, d- I don't remember too many chances that Austria had. They had I think they tested Mary Herps once or twice, but. The defence was generally good. It's more that the chance creation kind of wasn't quite ticking and the creativity and the ingenuity in, in attack. That's sort of coming the second and third games. But, but you know, England got over the line. Um, it was a fantastic atmosphere as well. Um, uh, and uh, and I guess that, you know, they moved on to the Norway game with with three points in the bag. And when you're the host nation, that's, that's, that's all you really need from the opener. Yeah, it's not how you do it really in an opening game. It's just getting it done. Um, and well, moving on to that Norway game, I <laughs> I think I, I tweeted you as well saying this game is going to be harder than some think. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was a combination of so many things, but I think the two main things were England were playing as well as they could possibly do, and Norway were playing as poorly as they possibly could have played. Yeah, Norway were were absolutely dreadful. Um, they 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 set up in a strange way. They didn't they didn't change that when it wasn't working. England have just been ruthless. I mean, in the last two games, whether Serena Vigman's been there in person or not, mm. um, they've been two performances that have had her hallmark right on top, you know, right over them, ruthless and unwilling to kind of 
stop creating chances and just see the game out late on. I think England were really professional in the first game against Austria in in picking kind of sensible passes late on back to the defence and sideways and slowing the game down and seeing it out. And that's because that's what was called for at the time. They were only 1-0 up. So, you know, you give away a chance and your opponent score and suddenly you've not won the game. And I spoke to Serena Wiegmann about that after the game and she said she was really, really pleased and proud with how professionally and maturely her team saw that game out. But in the next two games, England haven't needed to do that. And I don't think they'd have wanted to anyway. They've been queuing up really to get to get a piece of the action for themselves. Nor- the Norway game was ridiculous. I mean, I mean the thing, the thing I, w- I would like to say, the player I'd like to talk about really is Beth Mead, because yeah. I remember her scoring six goals in the calendar year of 2019 when Phil Neville was still manager. And I, I hadn't heard of her much before she she broke into to, to Neville's team right at the beginning of his reign. And I thought she, I, I could certainly see how she'd been a, a striker in the past. You know, she, she has that kind of natural attacking instinct to get in, in the area. But she's just so, she's, I think she's, she must be one of the most underrated players in the world. You know, ahead of this tournament, if you ask most journalists covering it to name the uh, kind of the 20 best players in the world, I don't think Beth Mead would be in it because it's not like she shines week in, week out in the WSL for Arsenal. She, she plays very well, but, yeah. but I think she's, not, she's absolutely world-class. I mean, she, she, as I say, she's got that attacking instinct. She might be a wide player now, but she, she often scores the kind of scrappy goals. The third of her hat trick against Norway was just a rebound, wasn't it? It's the kind of goal that you expect from a striker. Yeah. Uh, and the second was magical, kind of dancing into the box and, and slotting it nicely. Um, so, as long as she's firing, I, I make England's chances so much higher than than if she only got injured. You know, I, I think she's, I think she makes a huge difference for England because England's at players out wide. Um, are all fantastic, and England have real depth there, just like the men's team do uh, in, in wide areas. But the difference with her is that she she can provide and she can score, and she almost always tends to. Whereas other uh, other players, maybe it's sort of a hope that they will, and they don't always. But but Beth Mead has delivered in every game. She beat Jimmy Greaves's long term record ahead of this tournament for most England goals by an England international in a single campaign, like season. And she's absolutely battering the record now. Obviously, she's top scorer in the tournament, and I, I reckon she'll go on. And if she's if she's firing, England will be firing, and, uh, and they were against Norway. Yeah, five goals for her so far, um, and I've got a feeling it was her that scored a shot come cross, cross come shot in the She Believes Cup a good few years ago. I'm sure that was her. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm it was 2018, wasn't it? It's against Brazil, and it ended up being the winner of that game. Yeah, well, that was yeah. her. Very her, really. And I think she, I think she did mean it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so many, so many crosses. You can't possibly, you know, the, the, the player will try and claim it, or they'll, or they'll say, "I'll let you decide." But everyone knows they didn't mean it. She, I think she genuinely meant that one, which is uh, kind of a uh, speaks volumes about what she's like as a as a person and as a player. Yeah, I mean, the, the one other thing I was going to say about her, of course, the so I, th- I think people have classed her as being on a revenge tour uh, because yeah. obviously she was omitted from the Olympics team. And that may be down to, like you say about some journalists, maybe not having her in their top 20 players for the tournament because she she missed out on that. And, and that yeah. maybe pent-up aggression has come out in this tournament, obviously much to uh, to England's gain 
Yeah, it's interesting because you know we see we see in the men's game, we see in the women's game that there there are always players that go that whose careers go on by who 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 play club football and international football, and they always seem to click better in one or the other. I mean, I don't think England have ever been able to make the most of Fran Kirby really, whereas she scores almost every game for for Chelsea um, or assists in this tournament. Actually, I think they've done a very good job, and Fran Kirby's been excellent. But Beth Mead's the opposite. Beth Mead is kind of, it's kind of like kind of like Danny Welbeck was for, for the England men's team a few years ago. She always seems to deliver for England. Uh, she's got a ridiculous number of goals um, if you consider uh, her position. So it bodes well. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, there was the, the Northern Ireland game. The two previous games, Austria and Norway, um, Serena Weidman went with an unchanged lineup, And... Going into the Norway game, I was thinking, how how do you play this? Do we go with an unchanged lineup, as has been her sort of methodology when she was back with the uh, with the Dutch national side, or we've we've got a foot in the we've got both feet in the quarterfinal? Do we give the other players the starting experience? Um, maybe put another keeper in. And then there's the other way of, well, why why change your winning squad? And that's what she decided to go with um, in a game against Northern Ireland. And the having not been tested, really, in those first two games, it was Northern Ireland that, that really gave us our, our best test so far. Yeah, they started very resolutely. I mean, in, in terms of the England selection, I, I think we can get hung up in... Uh, you know, now that England have won five nil, it's tempting to say that, that that they made the right decision. I actually don't think they did. I think they. I think it should have been a half and half team. Really, bring in the players who were closest to pushing for starts, and keep in the um, the players who were in positions. Who, who, you know, who who were pretty solid. Um, I wouldn't change the goalie, for example. But but I, I would have bought in three or four players. You know, just just to give some of the more, more important players a rest. In the end, she didn't do that. I mean, she wasn't even there, of course, because she had COVID, but she, did, she didn't do that in the end. Um, and England were fantastic, but it took a while, didn't it? Uh, mm. for, the first, for the first 40 minutes, Northern Ireland uh, defended quite well. They were actually quite high for a team who were who were kind of playing a, a defensive formation that, that England couldn't really quite, uh, get through. And, and, and they did try and thread through a few balls. It was one of those games where you knew it was going to take something special, and and what a goal it was from Frank Kirby, who um, kind of announced herself in the tournament. She, she's already got quite a few assists. I think she's got three assists in this tournament, but she kind of added to that uh, with a fantastic goal and her first for for club or country since December. Yeah, it's very very precision that one. It was sort of delicately put into the uh, into the net with with quite a yeah. bit of precision that one um one thing that he did touch on there is covid and i'm and i'm going to come back to that in a moment um but just regarding the england team obviously ellen white is goal scorer extraordinaire she's she hasn't got 50 is it 51 52 goals um 52, yeah yeah for for no reason what's whatsoever she's she is one of the best in the business but when you've got the likes of Alessia Russo coming on and, and banging on that door, how, how does Serena Weidman think about this going into the next game? Yeah, it's difficult. I would say that Ellen White is so impressive off the ball and so important in starting the England press. She's so tireless in her in her work that actually... It almost doesn't matter if Alessia uh, until until Alessia Russo is coming on scoring five every game. I don't think it will change. 
Um, because what, why change a winning formation uh, and, and a winning formula? And the formula is start with with White, bring on Russo. And if White has scored by the time she goes off, great. But you know that Russo will come on and get a few chances and might well tuck one or two away. So I don't think Alessia Russo is pushing to start, not because she's not good enough, but because England could do it with starting with, with the positives that, that White brings. I mean, her pressing the other night against Norway in the second group game bought England about two or three of their eight goals. And without it, England wouldn't have scored those goals. So, yeah, Alessia Russo was fantastic. I mean, she, she was almost Bergkamp-esque, wasn't she, mm-hmm. with her second goal? It was oh, fantastic, yeah. fantastic goal. But I don't think she'll start, and I think that's right. But she's absolutely brilliant in the air. It's funny, she was saying in the week, I've only ever scored for England with my head. That's and she right. came on and within three minutes she did that. So I thought that was quite funny. Um, But she'll continue to get game time. She doesn't need to worry about that. But I don't think she'll get starts. And I don't think that's an insult to her. I think it's just an admission that Ellen White is still so important to this England team, not because of what she has done, because no one should get a place on a team sheet because of what they have done. It's more because of what she can continue to do. And that's lead the line in terms of pressing. And you know that if, if Ellen White gets a chance, she'll tuck it away. Yeah. This, I guess we still come back to the depth of the squad that that the Lionesses have. But with the squad, and as I mentioned, COVID, there's an an issue whereby last year, the Euros, the men's teams were allowed 26 players in a squad uh, and then to pick 23 for a match day, I believe it was. This tournament for the women, it's only a squad of 23. UEFA have decided not to allow this similar situation. And and we've had, uh, okay, Weidman's not on the pitch, but she caught it the other day. But there have been uh, a few instances where there was a lot of Wubamoy caught it. Viv Maidemar uh, for Holland. Uh, Is this a little bit unfair? It seems it to me. Well, it's not unfair if the 2022 World Cup in Qatar is going to see 23 players again, but it's not. It's going to see 26. And their rationale there is that, yes, we're moving away from COVID being as lethal as it used to be, but their rationale is that we should continue 26-man squads or 26-player squads because of the threat to concussion and injuries like that. Well, if you're going to continue to do that for the World Cup in men's football, which is still four months away, then you can't realistically keep it to just 23 this summer when we are we are actually seeing the fifth covid wave yeah. and when injuries are just as you know possible in women's football as they are in men so so i would say it's unfair i'd say it's bizarre really yeah very strange very strange well let's let's move on to spain we're going to be playing spain in the quarter final 20th of july down at the amex well, down in brighton spain Obviously, at the beginning of the, the tournament, losing Alexia Patelis um, was was just so unfortunate to... I think that was an ACL injury, uh, yeah. which, again, is an, another little feature or quirk of this tournament where a few players have have sort of suffered that, which is such a shame. Yeah, Francis Cototo the other day, which is mm. a real miss for them. Yeah, and I believe there was a Northern Ireland player whose, whose name escapes me, I think, also uh, went down. But Spain, they've sort of... Flattered to deceive. Obviously, they won the first game against Finland, which you you saw, um, but went down early to that goal. Lost to Germany. And then last night against Denmark, I I only saw the highlights of this one, but it took them a last-minute goal to secure that second spot in the group. How do we look at Spain? 
I think they really are missing uh, the kind of tempo setting of Poteas. And, and actually, they're also missing their, their veteran striker, um, Hermoso, Jenny Hermoso. She, she's a fantastic player. Um, so they're missing two of their best players. I didn't think it mattered too much in the opener um, because uh, two of Pateas's Barcelona teammates, um, Caldente and uh, Aitana Bonmati, were brilliant in, in midfield and, and kind of t- turned the game around, really. That doesn't that hasn't seemed to work against slightly bigger opposition. That that worked against Finland, and maybe you'd have expected that it would do. But against Germany, Spain really struggled. And last night against Denmark, they weren't. They certainly weren't clinical. They gave away too many chances. And and again, their defence was 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 probably too high, too open. There were there were too many gaps. And 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 England will be looking at this and thinking, we really can attack this team. Let's not be kind of phased and, and and concerned about what, what's ahead of us just because Barcelona is so dominant in the women's game because Barcelona and Spain are not the same thing of course, of course. you know um, Spain tend to start six or seven of the Barcelona femini players but that doesn't mean that it's the same entity when you put the, the players together on a pit on a football pitch and indeed it's not that there was there were huge gaps in the defense in the game against Finland and, and if you're seeing that against Finland you're going to see that against England because you know Spain will continue, you know, you'd assume that Spain won't completely correct those mistakes, but also good teams make you make mistakes and, and England will cause Spain problems. Can can Spain cause England problems at the other end? Of course they can. They, 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 they score plenty of goals as a team and, and England haven't conceded yet. And, and as we know, they will at some point, you know, you're not going to go for a whole tournament without conceding goal. I'd be absolutely stunned if that happened. Um even for this team, who in 17 games under Wiegmann have only conceded twice or three times, rather, it's going to be it's going to be a close game. But I really do make England favourites, though, and and it's not just because of how the two teams have panned out in their group stages. I think I'd have made England favourites for this game before the tournament as well, and having those riches coming on from the bench. And actually, England's stamina, even of players who might stay on from the from the, st- uh, the start of a game right to, through to the 90th minute or 120 minutes, England seem to have such stamina that their players seem to just keep going on and on and on with, with creating chances, turning over the ball, winning back possession, and creating more chances. In- England have been relentless, and I don't think Spain will necessarily be able to match that. So it might be a game, England's first game indeed, where it takes kind of wearing them down through through the second half before England get their their reward but I think they will get it. Okay. Let's hope that it is a a positive game for England we can progress through to that semi-final. Um and who knows where we can go from there. But tournament as a whole so far we are we're over halfway through the majority of the games have been played. How have you how have you seen the tournament so far? Um well, there's a few points to make on this. Uh, on this, really, I think the turnouts have been fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's the most um, attended w- women's Euros in history, and it was indeed with 15 games left to go, which is which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. The, the ticketing problems that have meant that some games aren't full up and aren't full up at kickoff has been a real shame. Um, that's just kind of UEFA incompetence, which we've hmm. become. Um, kind of familiar with recently yeah. not not even recently it's always been the case really um just just showing itself in different um different ways um i like as well the number of goals 
I think it's a shame that some games have been much more uneven than they were in the last Euros. Um, but you know what? I, I think you're, you're adding, you're, you're putting two and two together and making five. If you say that that's, if, you, if you're someone who sits on a radio show or, or, or writes a column and says that that means that that undermines women's football. It was only eight years ago that we watched Germany seven, Brazil one. Yeah. In a men's semi-final. And no one was talking about how that degrades men's football, were they? Sometimes good teams will lose to good teams by big margins. That you know, that's why we watch football, because you don't know what's going to happen next. England put eight past Norway. It was absolutely ridiculous. England are ranked eighth in the world, Norway are ranked eleventh. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it happened anyway. These things just happen. I don't think you need to read a message about the, the lack of competitiveness in women's football because I just don't think it's true. I like as well that the, and I read a few columns about this and I was really pleased that people were focusing on this. I was there at Old Trafford for the opener and I watched the opening ceremony and I liked that it wasn't patronising and kind of kind of talking about the, the, the more general importance that this tournament will have to womankind because it's just condescending. You know, we've got to get past... It's important to talk about trailblazers and it's important to talk about the growth of the game because if you don't talk about that stuff, things don't continue to grow. But after a while, you do have to start focusing on the football as football yeah. and talking about the ins and outs of it and the challenges and the goals and the saves and the passes, you know, r- rather than the, the the broader relevance of the tournament. Um, so I'm really pleased that the tournament, has, that the football has done the talking in this tournament. And I absolutely expect that to continue as we move into the knockout stages where, of course, only the best teams will be left to, to do their business. Yeah, that, that was something that, that had crossed my mind as, as the tournament's gone on. It's like, where, where do we draw a line under this sort of, oh, women's football is progressing so much over the, the last few years. It's like, well, it, it was always going to, but now it's a case of, Right, let's let's just push on and, and appreciate the game for what it is and, and watch it evolve rather than sort of just as, as you say, sort of maybe condescendingly saying that it's evolved over time. But it's 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 there now. It's getting there. It's we're there and we're, we're watching the uh, the fruits of it in in some of these games and the tournaments. And as you say, this the the knockout rounds now will will show who is the uh, the best of the best. And the one other thing. I was going to sort of mention VAR, um, which still frustrates me, and and that's clearly something that is is universal across football. But it's ha- it's been, from what I can see, it's been a relatively clean tournament. Um, I think of if I'm right in saying, I think there's only two sendings off so far, uh, yeah. of which one was for it was a I don't know if you saw this one, but a sending off for Belgium right at the end of the the game yeah uh which subsequently resulted in a penalty which was missed was it a second yeah have, have they both been second yellows i think that one was i, I couldn't tell you about the other one I yeah the other honest. one was as well and i i actually would like to mention here that i think there needs to be more straight reds in in, in women's football i think that is something which does undermine the sport because it, we, we don't talk about a lack of straight reds in in men's football and there there are enough challenges that that more should be given as 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 straight red cards, you know, because otherwise it's kind of watering down the sport a little bit. Right. And yeah. there have been there have been some challenges which deserve red cards. So I agree with you. It has been a clean uh, tournament, but there have been a few challenges I've seen which should be, should have been red cards and sometimes weren't even given as fouls. Okay. 
Uh, well, we, we shall see maybe as the as the pressure increases uh, with the knockout rounds, whether the uh, red card or whether those cards become straight reds. We'll see. Obviously, we don't want to see too many players being no, no. sent from the, the field of play. Um, no, but- I'm, I'm more saying that we want the referees to, to call it right. Yes. And when a, re- when a red card should have been given, a, lot, a few times or maybe once or twice, I've seen nothing be given at all, not even a foul. And that, that, that isn't really good. That yeah. isn't good. No, I understand what you're saying. The, what, who are your biggest disappointments uh, team-wise? I mean, we've already mentioned Norway. I, I thought they were uh, a shoe-in for the, the knockouts. The, the other team, perhaps for me, would be Italy. I thought they had a little bit more in them than uh, they perhaps shown. Yeah. I mean, Italy aren't uh, a huge name in the women's game, but they, I agree. They, they have disappointed a little bit and, um, and they got battered by France in the opener um, and only drew their next game. So yeah, they haven't been, they haven't been brilliant. I don't think there have been too many nations who have, who have done particularly worse than were expected. You'd, you'd want, you'd want to expect Denmark to get through, but you ha- everything's relative. And if you look at the two of the teams in their group, it's Germany and Spain. Well, realistically, are they going to get through that? Probably not, you know, in another group, if they'd been in France's group with Italy, who would you expect to get through to the knockouts, Italy or Denmark? You'd expect Denmark. Mm. Um, but, you know, in their group, I suppose they're not going to come out, are they, really, uh, versus Spain and Germany? So, no, I don't think there have been too many teams who have disappointed. I don't think it's necessarily been predictable as a tournament in terms of score lines, but in terms of results, generally speaking, it has gone pretty much um, as expected so far. Yeah, I must admit, I, I, I've, done a, I've done a little prediction score-wise um, through the uh, the beginning of the tournament. And whilst I haven't got any of the, the scores correct, about three or four of them, I've only been one goal out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, perhaps I predicted a, it to a certain degree. The uh, Let's just ra- wrap it up. Um, I mean, there's the two... I mean, obviously, we want to see England progress through, get to the final. We'll, we'll see where we go from there. But I think our only other threat to me would come from France or Germany yeah, and, I'd agree. and Germany may be uh, a lot of people were saying that Germany were in a transitional phase and maybe this would be a step too early for them would, would you agree with that or, or are they genuinely a threat I think they are genuinely a threat because they seem to score enough goals that they could they could quite easily beat England not, not, not easily. Again, quite, quite conceivably, be England. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, I do make England favourites at this point. But if there were, if there were two teams who I am most fearful uh, for playing, it would be France and Germany, and I think Germany more than France as well. So I, I think we're probably on the same page with that. I expect a Germany England final at Wembley, which would be quite some occasion, and I'll be gutted to miss that if that happens. But. I'll watch it from afar, and I'll watch Lauren Hemp's late winner uh, as we're crowned European champions. I hope that I hope that comes true. Well, that sounds it sounds a good dream. Um, let's hope it's one that comes to comes to reality. Lauren Hemp is a player. I remember tweeting quite a while back saying she would be the the star of the tournament, which it it hasn't really happened for her in the way that we'd all hoped. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, she's still ever so young and got so much more uh, ahead of her. Don, thank you very much as always for your time. Um, I know you are you're going off for a well deserved break now, um, so yeah, enjoy that and let's let's catch up 
as the season starts again, either talking men's or women's football or yeah. young lions. Absolutely. I mean, football has a funny tendency to come back next season, doesn't it? So I'll be back with it. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, as always, you can find Dom at englandfootball.org and, and various other media outlets. And of course, he is on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith. Thank you to Dom there for his time. I will be back with you again very soon. I must get the next in our World Cup series out. From the turn of the year, I have been looking at how our senior men have done on the biggest stage of all, the FIFA World Cup. And I've been speaking with people who were there, either players, fans, journalists... 1982 was our most recent episode. That one was held in Spain and it was one where I spoke with Les Gasson. And it can still be heard at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. So that means 1986 is next. Stay subscribed and you won't miss it. So until the next time, take care, especially in this heat. Bit of Slip, slop, slap, as our Australian counterparts would say. Stay hydrated too. So long may the Lionesses run in this competition continue. I'll catch you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.